Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's get started. You've heard it before, the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. But have you ever paused to consider that metaphor? What does it mean? And when exactly is the day of the Lord? Today, we'll explore the answers to these questions and get a better understanding of prophecy. So now, let's listen to the Word of God. Two readings, one from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, and another from the Apostle Peter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come, just like a thief in the night, while they are saying, Peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them, suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. That was 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 4, and 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11. Before attempting to interpret scripture, we always use the SPACE method. SPACE is just an acronym that we created to remind Bible students to consider the speaker, SP, the audience, A, and the context, C, before attempting an explanation, E. Let's use the SPACE method today on today's scripture reading. So the speakers are the apostles Paul and Peter here on these two verses. These men were from a rare group of disciples, the called out of the called, known as apostles or messengers of Jesus Christ. One of the key qualifications of an apostle were that they had to have been personally taught by Jesus. And Peter obviously fulfilled this, and so did Paul. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, if you remember, and was personally instructed by Jesus in the desert of Arabia. We see that in the book of Acts. As for the audience, it's several early churches. Peter wrote his letters to the members of the churches, quote, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to 1 Peter 1.1. Paul wrote many letters. This one was to the church in Thessalonica in Macedonia. Sometimes the audience is primarily Jewish, and that tells us the message may pertain specifically to God's plan for Israel. 
But the diverse audiences here clearly indicate this message is for the entire church, and that includes every believer who reads these words until the end of the church's age, which hasn't come yet. As for the context, let's look at these two passages separately. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 comes right after another famous passage about the end times. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So the Apostle Paul has just revealed a prophecy of the rapture. And then he goes into another prophecy of what happens after the rapture. Just like a thief in the night, while they who remain are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. That's the context, and we'll get into why it's important next. As for 2 Peter, the context is just a little different. Chapter 2 of this letter is a warning about false teachers and their heresies and stuff. And Peter says that these heretics were even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And we see that in verse 1. But then he pulls no punches, calling them stains and blemishes, and then later on, unstable souls and accursed children, and that's in verses 13 to 15. Yes, for them, the black darkness has been reserved, he says in verse 17. So he uses very strong language, and he concludes, it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from it. And this leads us into chapter 3 where Peter explains the purpose of his diatribe is to remind these false teachers what will happen in the last days. Okay, so I'll read that really quick. It's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. By the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. And notice that phrase kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And then soon after comes our scripture reading, beginning in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. That's why you pointed out that earlier phrase, Andy. So now that we know the speaker, audience, and context of our scripture reading, we're ready to attempt an explanation. So let's go back first and look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 4 again, and I'll read it. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. All right, Jordan, so I have a quick question for you, and maybe you could help us and help our listeners in understanding the explanation of these verses. When we looked at the context, we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that it was about the rapture. Now, what is this specific passage about? So, Andy, one clue is that it mentions destruction and a judgment those on the earth will not escape. So that's a key part of it. And another big clue is that it says this even will happen while they are saying peace and safety. So 
If you look at the Great Tribulation in prophecy, it's seven years long, and it should be divided really into two halves. The first half is when the beast, or Antichrist, is given authority to act for 42 months, according to Revelation 13.5. Right. So 42 months is exactly half of seven years. And it also says that the beast's authority will be over every tribe and people and tongue and nation, according to Revelation 13.7. So it'll be a time when the whole world is lulled into a false sense of peace. So as Jesus prophesied, they will be saying peace and safety, and then it will end with the first four seal judgments that you can find in Revelation 6, 1 through 8, when it says, for example, it was granted to take peace from the earth. That's verse 4 of Revelation 6. Yeah, Jordan, and it's important for our listeners to remember that this happens only to the unsaved, for example, those in darkness. And Paul tells the Thessalonians, and by extension the whole church, that we are not in darkness. So this day won't overtake us like it will them. And then moving on a little bit, let's look at 2 Peter 3, 10 to 11 one more time. And I'll read that. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. All right, Jordan, one more question here. Is this particular verse talking about the tribulation, or is it some other period in time? Great question. Well, it can't be the tribulation because the elements will be destroyed, right? And the earth will be burned up. And we know that it doesn't jive with uh, the, the seven years of the tribulation. You know, it, it can't happen because God must fulfill his promise to Israel. That's the main point. The Messiah must rule as king over all the earth. Otherwise, God would not be keeping his promise. And we know that God always keeps his promises. Exactly. So this verse must occur after the millennial kingdom or Christ's thousand-year reign. It must refer to what we read in Revelation 21.1, which is, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And Isaiah also prophesied about this, saying in Isaiah 24 that, quote, the earth will be completely laid waste and its inhabitants burned. Further evidence is those verses that we read in 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. The earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water, the great flood. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. You know, Jordan, that last verse actually holds another key clue about the time frame. You know, the, the quote, the words, the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Today, I would say it's a description of the great white throne judgment, and you could read about that in Revelation chapter 20. Jordan, let's recap again for the listeners at home, right? So looking at the day of the Lord as a whole, we understand that depending on what verses in the Bible you're reading, the day of the Lord must be more than one day or more than one event. I think what, it's, what we're learning is that it's, it's covering a whole event as the end times in general, from the time of the rapture, even to the time post-white throne. So to recap, we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see the rapture. I think people at home and, and disciples know that that's generally where we go to find verses regarding the rapture of the church. But then in the following chapter, we, we learn about the day of the Lord, speaking of the end times, generally the end of all mankind and the end of the earth as we know it which segues into 2 Peter chapter 3, which actually goes even deeper and talks about how atoms will explode and everything that, that we see now will not even remain. So we know that obviously there's more than just one specific event. It's a covering of multiple events that God uses the words, the day of the Lord. 
So without knowing what the context is, you know, people can sometimes misconstrue that, well, you know, the day of the Lord is the rapture. No, the day of the Lord is, is after the millennial kingdom. So I have some more questions maybe to help our listeners and, and help me as well kind of get, a, get my mind wrapped around this. And one of my questions here is, so what does all of this tell us about the day of the Lord in general? Like if you could generalize it into some points, what, how would you explain it? Yeah, well, so you gave a really good summary of it uh, chronologically, and I think there's a couple of points we could add on to that. So, you know, like you said, it begins with the rapture, and that's the removing of the church and really the Holy Spirit which is sealed within the members of the church Absolutely. from the earth. Yes. And that unleashes chaos, of course, as we read. First, there's this false peace where um, people are believing that thing, where the world is better off now that the Christians are gone. And in reality, uh, that's, that's a, a setup for uh, the hell that will be unleashed on earth um, when, when Satan's allowed to act, because there's no, if you think about it, there's no real presence of God left on earth to restrain him, right? Yeah. God's always been in, in some form on the earth, whether it was directly communicating with Adam and Eve, or in the Shekinah glory, whether he was physically on earth as a man in the form of Jesus Christ. And, and now we know since Pentecost, he's been on the earth in the form of the Holy Spirit. Now there's going to be none of that. God's going to be completely removed from the face of the earth um, for this period of time. And Satan's just going to unleash all hell, pun intended. And then, you know, the, it continues the day of the Lord through the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is the day of the Lord's return. And, uh, you know, Satan's defeat and binding. Uh, it includes Jesus Christ's judgment on earth of those who live during the tribulation, which is the sheep and the goats judgment. Um, we've we've uh, taught about that before, but I'll just put a little marker on that for you so you know. Obviously, the beam and seat judgment has happened before, right after the rapture. Uh, it's a judgment of Christians who have left the earth. Sheep and the goats is the judgment after the tribulation. And then it includes his thousand-year reign. This is still the day of the Lord. It's, it's a long day. Uh, it includes the escape of Satan from prison in the final battle, followed by the great white throne judgment, which we read about, and the destruction of Satan and his angels and all ungodly men being cast into the lake of fire. So, uh, and and uh, fi- finally, I, I guess it ends with the total destruction of the earth by fire, as we read, um, that, that nuclear sort of Holocaust type thing that you described, uh, which we saw in Second Peter. Yeah, I think that's a, a great summary. Jordan, and you know, again, for our listeners at home, that when they heard about Satan escaping from prison, um, if you really look and study, just to kind of a little bit of a you know future study for yourselves at home, if you look at it in Revelation chapter twenty, you'll see God the Father actually allows Satan out of prison. You know, there's a purpose of why he was bound and and why he's allowed out. So it's not like he has the power or the will to be able to break his his you know chains or what have you, but um, God has a perfect plan, and that's what this is all about. So, you know, in other words, the day of the Lord refers to the complete judgment of the earth and all of its inhabitants by the Son of God. And then, of course, after this comes the new heaven and the new earth and the kingdom of the Father, which again is in Revelation chapter 21, and we highly recommend you study that, you know, just for yourself. There's a blessing in that. So, another question for you, Jordan. What about the phrase, a thief in the night? What would you say that means, and who exactly is that message for, A Thief in the Night? Yeah, great. So that, that's um, really the core of uh, our lesson as well. And, you know, Jesus compared his second coming to a thief in uh, Matthew 24. I'll read a few verses, uh, starting in verse 42. He says, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming— he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, 
for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So I have a question back for you, Andy. Sure. Is this about the rapture? Good question. Well, some key context begins, I would say, in verse 21, and that reads, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And then let's jump to verse 29, going down a few more verses after that. I'm going to read that as well. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So, in other words, this is clearly about the second coming, which is actually after chronologically the rapture, the rapture of the Holy Spirit, which lives in the church, and the great tribulation. Thanks, Andy. Um, Second question. So, why do some people get confused and associate this reference to the rapture? I mean, that that is actually a great question. And and I think um, the short answer is that when you really don't put the due diligence and study that you should, then you're going to automatically assume certain things, right? But to answer the question, we always like to be technical and use scripture to answer those kind of questions. So looking at verses 40 and 41, and I'll read them, they say, then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken, and one will be left. Right, so that those are the two verses I think that get people confused, and they think this is about the rapture, because you imagine two people and one disappears, right? That, that's sure. a classic uh, modern uh, vision of how the rapture is going to happen. So why isn't it about the rapture is the question again, just sure. to clarify. Well, let's keep looking at Scripture, okay? So I'm actually going to jump back a little bit. I'm going to go to verse 37 that reads, The coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So the context here is a judgment event like the flood and the event described in verse 31, which reads, He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Okay, so it's it, it could still be read, though, uh, as the rapture. So isn't this the rapture that's describing? Well, actually, the answer is, is no, because verse 30 says, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So really quick, w- without getting too much deeper, during the rapture, which is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see there that when Jesus appears in the sky, it's only for the Christians so that he could rapture the Holy Spirit off the earth, because in order for times to, to be revealed according to God's chronology, the false prophet, the, the beast, they won't rear their ugly head, they're cowards, until the Holy Spirit is off the earth. Right. And God knows this. So God takes the church off the earth, and, and at that time, he doesn't appear to the whole world. He only appears to Christians. Whereas in this verse, it shows that he appears to everyone, all tribes, you know? So you've got basically who's left over are because the Christians won't be there. It's either 
at that time you're Jewish or you're not Jewish, or you're anticipating the coming of the Lord or you're not, or another description would be you are seeking you know, the coming Messiah or you're worshiping at the feet of Satan. So, but everyone at this point is going to notice him coming on the clouds in great power. So, again, this describes the second coming as also described in Revelation 1-7, which reads, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So, you know, contrast this with what we read in 1 Thessalonians, when the dead in Christ and those are alive will be caught up. So that, that was mainly my point. There That's is a difference. distinction. Okay, I get it. All right, so one final question, Andy, for you. Why does Jesus warn them saying, you know, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will? Like, what's, what's that all about? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I think that's probably, in this whole study, one, probably one of the most common questions. Well, Jordan, this message was for Israel and the tribulation saints. In other words, it's after the church is now gone home to go to the Bema Seat or Judgment Seat of Christ. If you reread Matthew 24, chapter 24, you'll see many references to Judea, the temple, false messiahs, and so on. And then all these messages were written for us to read as well, but they're directed for Israel. Now, our, our founder of our ministry, Pastor Whipple, once wrote, notice that in Matthew 24, 31, the angels come forth with the sound of a trumpet. This is not the gathering of God's spiritual people, the church, into heaven, which is the event called the rapture. No, but the gathering of God's earthly people into the land, meaning the remnant of Israel that will be saved during the millennial kingdom. I see. Yeah, and of course, all teachings, especially those to the disciples, are also for the church's edification, even if they're not about the church, they're for the church. Yeah, we need to discern, you know, whenever we're sharing the word of God in the gospel, not only to be able to answer these hard questions, but to discern why these scriptures are written. Is it, is it for us historically? Is it for us to have our spirits edified? Is it for us to help spread the gospel? You know, this, this, this comes through experience and, and feeding on not only the milk doctrines, but the meat doctrines as well. Because if we don't study the end times, and if we don't study, you know, future events, and what I mean by study is not just read them and memorize them, but, you know, really go the extra mile to understand, especially the chronology of it, then what we're going to do is we're going to end up sharing possibly false information and, you know, get people caught up in what could lead to be, you know, basically a wrong gospel. False teaching, know, yeah. False teaching. I mean, and that's uh, really why we advocate the space method, because when you apply the space method, you, you can sort all of this out. For example, um, you know, in these particular cases, in this particular case that we're talking about, that thief of the night analogy is a specific to Israel and a warning to them and the tribulation saints. But Elsewhere in the Bible, like in Revelation 3, in the, um, the message to the church at Sardis, um, similar language is used. You know, Jesus says, therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come. And that's directed to a church, so that has to be more a metaphor for the rapture. But everywhere else that we've seen today, based on the context and comparing scriptures, if you use, you look at the audience, and you look at the context, and you let scripture reveal scripture, it's not addressing the rapture. So it's kind of important to understand that. Sure. And um, for our listeners at home, I know I, at first, when I first started studying the Word, and I would look at that and say, you know, those, that description of what Jesus said, like a thief, and you would think, wow, is Jesus a criminal? Is what he's doing wrong? You know, like, yeah, do I really feel point. comfortable with that, right. with that analogy? And the truth is, what he's trying to say is, look, when I take my people, my church, my saved ones off the earth, those who are left over are going to look and say, what happened? 
Amen. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.